Attention youth leaders, if you have recently been called to lead the rising generation, I have a next step for you. Listen to an awesome presentation by Yvonne Hubert and Peter Vidmar, who are both respective members of the Young Women and Young Men General Advisory Council for the Church. Their presentation really helps clarify ways on how to effectively lead the youth using the Children and Youth Program. They also cover topics like youth-led groups, how to lead through personal ministry, how to meet youth where they are, identifying the youth's strengths and capacities. This presentation is part of the Young Saints Virtual Library, and you can access it at no cost by going to leadingsaints.org 14. Again, simply click the link in the show notes or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Today I'm in Denver, Colorado, or better said, is this Arvada? Arvada. Arvada. I got to really turn up my Utah accent, Arvada, Colorado. But you say it with a Utah accent, Arvada. That's right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Now, now you, you are a Utah. I am. But you made it here to, to uh, Colorado. I did. Nice. And you love it? I do love it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. And you are the bishop of the Arvada uh, Arvada, 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 Arvada first word. That's the last I'll say it. So. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and how long have you been the bishop? Uh, about two and a half years. Nice. Love it. And you uh, extended the invitation to uh, have me come here and do a, a fireside, which I did last night. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Great ward. It's fantastic. And I, and I got to attend your ward as well. So this is like a really in-depth how I lead interviews. Like I, I'm like going into the experience I'm experiencing your word, then we're going to talk about it. And it was a great experience. That's good. So I wouldn't have asked you to record if it wasn't. <laughs> and others will. Sometimes I just don't have time to record if somebody else. Does. Anyways, I'm probably setting myself up. But um, And uh, maybe just tell us about uh, a little bit of your background. What what uh, makes Sean? Uh, my background. So I actually grew up in Sandy, um, Utah. Uh, interestingly, or one unique thing about me is, uh, I didn't grow up in the church as the saying goes. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
I was uh, grew up in what would probably be termed or defined as a part member and or less active family. Um, interestingly, I was baptized at age eight, uh, largely under the influence of my grandparents who were very devout members of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but between the ages of eight and call it 18, I think I stepped into church once. So as an 18 year old, um, I knew nothing about Joseph Smith. I'd heard his name, couldn't have told you anything about him. I had a book of Mormon collecting dust somewhere, but, um, I was a freshman at the university of Utah. Completely miserable. So you did do the seminary thing? No, nope, school. Never, okay. never once. Wow. Never once. Um, I was a freshman at the University of Utah, was really unhappy. By nature, I'm a very analytic nerd. Started to analyze my life and felt like, wow, well, I don't really have any religious influence in my life, so maybe I should check into that. So I actually, um, perhaps being very analytical, I started studying a lot of different religions. I went to a bunch of churches around the valley after about six months, didn't really find what I was looking for. And my very best friend, whose name is also Sean, he does spell it the wrong way though, (laughs) um, was about to leave on a mission, invited me to his farewell. And using the nomenclature that we used in those days, I kind of thought, well, technically I'm Mormon, maybe I should go to that church. So um, three days after his farewell, I was seeing him off at his house before he went to the MTC. And he put his arm around me and said, I want to challenge you to read the Book of Mormon and pray about it and ask God if it's true. Wow. So I did. And I got an answer and here we are. And then that sent you off into your own mission. Then. Yeah. I literally left on my own mission one year to the exact day later. Wow. So you you were in. Yeah. And uh, you went to Guatemala. I did. And great experience. and Fantastic. And from that point, I mean, you've been in ever since. Yeah, so I'm all in. All in. That's awesome. Now, um, is there a story to being called as a bishop? Yeah, I think a little bit of one. Um, I actually was called, um, I I think one thing that's interesting about when I was called to be bishop is I was called about eight weeks before I was sustained, at least six. So I had a lot of time to think about it and pray about it and (laughs) freak out about it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, that was a bit unique. And what... Like, tell, tell me about those those weeks. Like, what process did you go through or what were you mulling over? Uh, great question. So I, um, probably because I'm really highly analytical, I spent a lot of time thinking about where my ward was at and um, trying to figure out what it is that uh, we should do as a ward. Um, you know, to set the context, we were just coming out of COVID. Um, I personally felt at the time we were really uh, kind of focused on all the wrong things. Like there's a lot of the controversy around, you know, mass or no mass, vaccine or no vaccine. And I felt mm-hmm. like we weren't really focused on um, Christ, which is obviously what it's all about. Yeah. Um, I also felt like COVID was massively disruptive in a lot of other ways. Like, you know, we'd been going to church on computer screens for two years. And so we weren't really doing anything. Um, and perhaps because we we're going to church on computer screens for two years, there was a lot of, no one was really connected in the ward. Um, we had a lot of people that had moved into our ward over COVID and no one really knew who they were because there was no interaction. And so, um, as I focused on those things felt like, wow, what my ward really needs is unity. Mm-hmm. And so let's focus on that. Yeah. And unity is that one of those principles that every ward sort of striving towards that, uh, and you know, you think, well, maybe it's more activities, maybe it's more, uh, you know, munch and mingles after, uh, you know, so how do you like, it's such a elusive, uh, principle. So how did you get after it? Uh, great question. So the 
the context I'll give you is I've been in brand marketing for a couple of decades mm -hmm. and love it and love brands and love the power of branding and certainly believe in it. And so as I thought about how do I communicate the concept of Utah, of unity to my ward, um, I actually decided to brand it. And so, this is so cool. Because <laughs> I got a t-shirt. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I decided to brand our ward and uh, I was remembering the story of Enoch and um, the concept of becoming one. And so uh, I perhaps fortuitously, because we're the Arvada first ward, the concept became we're Arvada one. Yeah. So since that period of time, I refer to our ward as Arvada one and um, no good brand uh, exists without a logo. So I had a logo designed and uh -huh. in my personal opinion, you can't really have a brand until you have it on a t-shirt. So <laughs> everybody's got an Arvada one t-shirt. Yeah. So do you actually, yeah, I do. You're part I of do. the crowd. I am. And this was cool to see at the fireside, like people, it, it was a casual fireside in the, in the culture hall and people from your ward showing up in this t-shirt. Yeah. And again, it's, it's not like there's something magic about the cotton in the t-shirt that, but it, uh, no, they were it's cheap. a symbol, right? <laughs> it's a symbol of like, this is, this is my team. This is my ward. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. And now this concept of branding, I think it would be worth, I mean, we're two marketing geeks and so we're like, get it. Yeah. Like, but most people don't, they don't realize the water they're swimming in. Like when you, even when you walk into Walmart or McDonald's, like there's a feeling there that if it was any bit different or if they just took a a target and put a walmart sign on like it would be like something's off here and so the brand is so crucial and there's i mean there's departments in the church that handle the branding of the church and sure when you see general conference it, you know there's certain there's just a brand there right and so like what could the lay leader better learn i mean other than get a logo and print t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how can, how can we process this concept of creating a brand and then how do we, how do we establish it? Yeah. Great question. Um, well, aside from a logo and t-shirts, uh, I think that, I mean, ultimately a brand represents a collection of thoughts or perceptions about a specific thing, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes a product or a service. So I think as we think about our wards, what are the thoughts and perceptions that we want our members to have about our ward as a collective group, mm -hmm. right? And so in our particular case, you know, we were lucky to have, to be the first ward and be able to use the word one as opposed yeah. to maybe, you know, the Arvada 12th ward, so to speak. But by way of communicating one, um, we went about trying to alter the perceptions of the time and talk about how we were gonna work together as one to be at one with Christ. And so, um, I do think that we were able to influence the perception of we're going to work together. We got each other's back. Um, we're going to focus on supporting each other as we do this. And um, I do think that there was a mental shift for how uh, our members actually perceive us as a ward. I think having a conscious discussion or um, putting conscious thought into what do we want our ward to stand for and as a and what are we going to do in order to actually drive those perceptions and drive those associations i think is worth thinking about yeah so we're, in the beginning were there like uh, like meetings or like you gathered them all together and sort of went through those values of what the brand means or how do you what did the the step by step there look yeah like? great question i think um so it started with on the day that i was sustained and the you know the talk that i gave or the words that i offered as we closed the meeting um, that was when I first introduced the idea. I referred to the word as Arvada One. Um, and since then, um, 
I have, whether it be in email communication or in communication I make to the ward, I always refer to us as that. And then I always um, talk very openly about um, what it means to act as one. And um, so I reinforce it every chance I get. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't really, it's admittedly a concept that I came up with and that I primarily drive, but um, I think I have definitely seen it take root and seen people actually act in accordance with it. So if you think about branding as a discipline, you know this, um, everything's about the touch point, right? What are the touch points that people are having with your brand and what do they actually um, take from those touch points? And um, so in our case, we're, I particularly am pretty conscious about making sure that people um, take away what we want to stand for when they do have a touch point with the ward or a member of the ward or so forth. Yeah. And then once it's established and it's sort of going, how do you get it from not fizzling out that people are like, oh yeah, they're, remember those t-shirts? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> how do you like keep it going? <laughs> That's a great point. Um, so there's two t-shirts. We've actually done it twice now. Um, I may or may not have plans for a third one, Ooh. but I do think, um, you know, in printed materials, we'll put the actual name of our ward and refer to our, you know, if there's an activity flyer, it's, you know, presented by the Arvada first ward of the Arvada Colorado stake. And then, but the Arvada one logo still lives at the bottom. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think that, um, you know, really a marketing plan is driven by making sure that, um, touch points do exist over the course of a year. And so I definitely try to interject them along the way. Mm -hmm. And then you've also made these attempts to, uh, I don't know if branding is the right thing, but as far as like different challenges and things, the, the, like the 90 day oh, yeah. challenge, <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, I talked about how, when I was first called, I felt like we weren't really focused on Christ. And so one of the initiatives, if you will, to really get us focused on Christ and, that first year was I challenged the ward to um, read the Book of Mormon in 90 days. And I wanted us to focus on doing it together uh, as one. So you know, we printed calendars and created cadence. And um, we even instituted a way to have um, people share what they learned as they read every day, whether that be through GroupMe or some other communication vehicle. Hmm. And um, but I wanted I wanted it to be memorable like a brand and I wanted people wanted it to be a handle. Uh, and so I branded that challenge, the bomb 90 and <laughs> the bomb 90. And so it, so uh, um, kind of caught fire. I actually had a priest just yesterday say, Hey, Bishop, when's the next bomb 90? Nice. Um, so we've actually done that twice too. We're not going to do it this year, but yeah. Cause I think it sort of reframes it. Like, cause obviously there's the challenges, you know, the Bishop's challenge of reading book, yeah. but it kind of creates it more of like, this is like sort of a movement that we're doing. We're all coming together, doing a bomb 90 Yeah. and and it makes it fun. Yeah, it was. Awesome. It's been a ton of fun. Anything else like that, that you've done that would be worth mentioning? Or? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. This is the greatest brand name in the world, but in order to <laughs> um, drive temple attendance, we created uh, Faith Fridays. So the Faith Friday is um, we set up obviously an appointment in the temple. We get people to we come to somebody's house, usually my house. We have dinner together, and then we go to the temple together. So it's a way to really drive um, temple attendance and at the same time connect with each other socially and so forth. And they've been a big hit. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in the interest of keeping them memorable, like we call them Faith Fridays. Yeah. Is there anything too uh, worth mentioning as far as your uh, engagement with the the, uh, the organizational leaders, Elder Scorn Presidents, the uh, Relief Society President, as far as keeping them engaged or, you know, with, with some of these efforts or helping them do their own thing? Yeah, I think so. Um, through the course of my career, I've learned a lot about the power, uh, the power and influence of empowerment in leadership. 
Um, and so I admittedly don't dictate a lot of what they do. Uh, I give suggestions and or maybe, um, you know, ask them questions to explore things that they might consider. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they've been set up either hold keys or been set up, set apart through keys and they absolutely should be empowered and supported to do what they feel like they need to do. And so that's been the approach that I feel like I've taken. Yeah. And you uh, referenced this principle of uh, uh, we, not I, and this sort of feeds into a lot of what you've already said. Is there anything else in that principle that's worth unpacking? Yeah. The concept of we, not I, I think is, I think I'm wired that way. Like I've always just taken the approach of, I'm not really focused on me. I'm focused on the we. Mm -hmm. um, and what is it that I can do to help support other people in what they are trying to do? So, um, you know, if my Relief Society president says, hey, we want to do this, we want to do X type of activity or whatever the case may be, my typical approach is great, go, what do you need from me? Um, so I tend to approach situations through the lens of what can I do to support the we, um, as opposed to taking, as opposed to focusing on you know, what does the bishop want or what does the bishop think? Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, I'm just Sean and I'm just trying to do the best I can. And um, I just want to be able to support others. Yeah. Are there any examples that come to mind as far as a uh, situation uh, that you had to fall back on that principle? I think there's been a range of activities and or a range of uh, initiatives that, are, that our organizations have taken over the last couple of years where I have, it may not have been what, I wanted to do or what I thought would be the best thing to do. But um, I feel like what, by applying the principle of we, not I, I'm more focused on just supporting them and what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I remember when I was first called, the Relief Society wanted to do a Relief Society birth, birthday party activity. And I remember I'll be very transparent thinking like, I wonder how many people would come to that. Um, and yeah. But at the end of the day, I felt like this is what they want to do. It's my job to support them. Um, even so much that one of the games was pin the wig on the bishop. And for those of you, <laughs> since nobody can see me, I'm totally bald. So um, it was all about pinning the wig on the bishop that day. So anyway, <laughs> I do think it's just looking beyond what I may want and um, focusing on what others may feel like is best, I think, is one way I try to demonstrate yeah. that. And that's an interesting thing in contrast with the branding thing, because sometimes people can go too far into the brand where they're like, it almost becomes a mechanism to micromanage, right? That, Oh, that's not, that's not according to our brand. So you got to, right. but to say that's our general brand. Now you live within that world and you do what you need to do. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. well said there. There's not an Arvada one brand book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, anything else, you know, this is related to we, not I, but, uh, you're a big proponent of servant leadership, something you do in your business and also at, at, at church. Any, any any principles there as far as like what that looks like or how you co constantly remind yourself of being a servant leader? Yeah, I think um, you know the way that I define leadership, at least within the context of being a servant or servant leadership, is that um, leadership is about bringing out the best performance in others as they X, right? As they build their careers or as they become football players or whatever the case may be. And so the way I put that into an easy example is a coach, right? Think about the greatest coach of any sport and chances are that um, they've either done the sport or they've become an expert in the sport and they're utilizing what they may know um, in order to help further the capabilities and performance of other people. And um, so in my personal opinion, part of being a servant leader is making sure that I have the capabilities and the know-how and 
even the knowledge to be able to help support others and whatever they may do. And, and I may not always have that. Mm-hmm. And if not, then I'll go find it or I'll go build it or whatever the case may be. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So just in, in filling that, just remind yourself, like, what's, what are they trying to be? Right. Or, or what's, what, cause that keeps you grounded on what the point is rather than yeah. just get, just get the activity done or whatever. Right. Like right. there's, there's development process here. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so I, I peeked into your Bishop's office yeah. and I thought, all right, this is different. I like this. So, <laughs> Tell me the journey of your bishop's office. Um, well, I've, you know, I think um, when I approached first being called, I think um, part of my intent was to change the culture of the ward or at least have a positive impact on it. Um, and I think that, if, you know, if you think about culture as being a set of beliefs and values and practices, um, and I and you think through, well, what is it that I as a bishop can actually impact? Well, I don't dictate doctrine, so I'm not going to really impact beliefs necessarily, but I can definitely have an impact um, on practices. And one of the things that I feel like is important is to, um, I feel like there's power in making church approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in full transparency, when I was first um, became active in the church and getting engaged in the, in the church, uh, I was intimidated. And I think many people share that experience, um, particularly if you're coming into the church or um, even, you know, investigating the church, I think it can be intimidating. And so approachability is something I've tried to drive into our ward by way of a range of different practices. Um, when I first got in the bishop's office, I didn't feel like it was approachable. There's this ginormous desk and it's been there for 20 years and it's very executive in its president presence. And mm-hmm. I, it, I was completely uncomfortable. It felt like, um, you know, people are going to, feel like they're coming to worship the bishop at his altar. I'm like, okay, I got to get rid of this. So yeah. I got rid of the desk. That was like yeah. um, job number one. And I got a table from Ikea. It's awesome. <laughs> sits in the corner. And as a result of that, I sit on the same chairs everybody else does. Um, yeah. And so I've tried to make it a, a place that people would feel they could approach and feel comfortable in. All right. So I want to come back to this principle. I, I love that making church approachable. And then, but you also have this beautiful flat screen TV on the, on the <laughs> wall, right? Just take presents sitting. I'm like, wait a minute, I need to stop. Um, and, and which is cool, especially, I mean, in 2024, there's so much you can reference, you know, electronically and to have that there. I mean, how do you use it? Any, anything worth mentioning as far as how you use it? Yeah, I mean, that's what I display agendas on. Um, I utilize it much like I use flat screen TVs in my office. Mm-hmm. Like we display... Um, you know, agendas or I teach lessons to the priests and we watch videos and try to utilize the content of the technology that we can in order to make for the best experience possible. So yeah. now I don't know if this is standard issue, but I also walked by your material center and you had four huge, you know, TV carts in there. And I'm like, because you, I remember like even my wife taught a relief society in our last word. And it was like my job to jump up after sacrament meeting, beeline it to the material center. So I get first dibs on the TV. I think they had two TVs, right? So <laughs> I got to get the big one, right? Right. From, so my wife can teach her lesson, but I, I was, is that you're doing or that just? No, those admittedly just showed up. I don't know how uh, they got there. Well, I think it should be standard issue that, right. and maybe they do. I don't know. I've been out of the business for a while, but, um, <laughs> Anything else with making church approachable? Like how does, else does that show up in your leadership or in your ward? Or- yeah, I think, um, well, one of the things I've done a couple of, actually a range of times was like last night, like when we have 
certain oh, yeah. devotionals or activities where you'd probably ex- expect to have to you know show up in Sunday dress. Um, we actually take a different approach and wear your jeans and your t-shirt. Yeah. Um, I got into that by way of thinking that uh, early on, if I could make it approachable and make it comfortable, I'd probably have more people come. And I actually found out that that was exactly the case. And so, um, you know, there's a time and a place for everything as we're taught in Ecclesiastes. And I think that um, there are certain cases where, yeah, we probably don't need to show up in Sunday dress. And as a result, can we um, kind of change the way people think about the uh, activity or the event and does that drive engagement and so forth. And so, um, as you probably saw last night, like we had a lot of, a lot of yeah. people there. Right? Now, and I noticed you didn't, you didn't even have to announce that. Like, it's just a thing people know. Like if there's a fireside, just come casual dress. Um, I think by now, because we've done it a few times, uh-huh. um, then yeah, I think that's the expectation early on. I definitely had to tell people like, uh-huh. don't worry about wearing a suit or, you know, Sunday dress, just go ahead and come casual. And, yeah. Um, I kind of have this perspective that you can feel the spirit regardless of what you're wearing. So if I can get a lot of people to come and have them feel the spirit, even if they're in jeans, that's a good thing. Yeah. Any other making church approachable examples? Um, I think that, um, you know, this is part of our branding, if you will, but trying to make things perhaps I've said before, and I'll say again, um, church can be fun. And to that point, I think trying to make it a bit lighthearted in tone um, and something that's kind of fun and full of joy and enjoyable, if you will, is yeah. something we definitely try to do in the way we communicate and the way we behave with each other and so forth. Yeah. You know, I, I always go back to the, you hear it more, maybe in a more corporate sense of, you know, the boss has an open door policy. You can come talk to him about anything. And no matter how wide you keep that door open, if it doesn't feel approachable or if he doesn't or she doesn't feel approachable, the conversation will never happen, even if you speak generally about this open door policy, right? And yeah. so it's in the details you make these adjustments of asking yourself, how can we make this more approachable? Yeah. And if if someone walked in here off the street, would they be confused or would they feel loved and, and want to stay here? Yeah. 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 Well said. Well, this is cool. So uh, people need a brand. <laughs> <laughs> Put some t-shirts and, and or stickers or whatever you need. But I, I think that's a, a really helpful concept to just reflect on of, because when it comes to unity, I think this is like, you have to create an identity of that unity. Right. I think we're too, we're a little bit naive at times thinking like, oh, we want to unify people. And that means they're like hanging out with each other and, and talking and we're do, partying together, but uh, you have to create an identity that you surround around Yeah. to... Uh, to make it work. Yeah. So. I'll be honest in saying one of my favorite experiences ever is when I hear people refer to us as, as our Rata one. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, last question I have for you as you reflect on your time as a, as a bishop, as a leader, how's being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, that's such a good question. My favorite. Um, as I referred to, I think, you know, as I think about leadership as being um, or bringing out the best capability in others, I have thought about my calling or my responsibility as a leader in the church to bring out the best performance in others as they come unto Christ. And just like a good coach, I can't do that unless I come unto Christ myself. And so that's something I actively try to do every single day. And I have found that by doing that, um, I do think I have been empowered by him to be able to help others come unto him and i have also been able to find him and know him myself and through that 
I have personally experienced that he can change anybody and he can heal anything. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Remember, check the show notes to listen to the powerful presentation by the General Young Men, Young Women Advisory Council members, or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.